that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Sunday Buckeye Talk, although I think we might put this up Saturday night. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. The draft is over. Ten Ohio State Buckeyes drafted. Other guys signing as undrafted free agents. We were doing live reactions as they happened, and so we're going to give those to you because that's in the moment, us analyzing each of the, what was it, four picks? Four picks that went on Sunday. Tommy Togi out of the Browns, Sean Wade to the Ravens, Luke Farrell to Jacksonville. Jonathan Cooper to Denver. So you'll get those reactions, but we're going to start off kind of with overall reactions and also remind you, Justin Hilliard, not remind you. It's not like, you, Oh yeah, I forgot. Justin Hilliard signing with San Francisco, Drew Chrisman signing with Cincinnati, the two undrafted free agents, as we know them so far. Um, let's just start off with uh, this. I, I hate this form of podcasting, but we're going to do it anyway. Nathan, what's your big takeaway? I hate the word takeaway. It's not used in any other form. But Nathan, as you reflect on this Ohio State draft, we've done two podcasts on the draft already. What, what's, what's the big, the big thing you're going to remember from it or you think is important? Didn't it pretty much reflect what the 2020 season was for Ohio State in a lot of ways? I mean, 10 guys getting drafted, so you know some depth. I mean, they, they proved kind of the depth of their talent. But you had a quarterback who went 11th overall, who meant so much to this team in so many other ways. And then I thought you could say that other deficiencies showed up in where guys were drafted relative to where Ohio State guys are usually drafted. Sean Wade goes in the fifth round instead of being one of those typical Ohio State NFL cornerbacks going early in the draft or Ohio State defensive backs going early in the draft. You know, no defensive ends going high in the draft. Jonathan Cooper goes in the seventh round. I think those things were reflective of some of the deficiencies that – held that 2020 and again it's so we we, if we find it so hard to talk about the 2020 team still and this draft maybe explains why because like they accomplished so much they played for the national championship but yet those things that we're talking about maybe that that lack of that typical ohio state pass rush that lack of a typical ohio state secondary really kind of loomed and and showed up in who did or didn't get drafted or where they didn't get drafted in this draft yeah i choose that too that was a good one <laughs> I was like asking the question, like, hey, what's your big takeaway? I was like, man, I got to think of a takeaway now. I think that's a really good way to put it, because as we're going to as we're discussing and we're writing about Ohio State and Alabama tied for the most draft picks in this draft with 10 each. And then Georgia and Notre Dame each had nine. But the difference between Alabama's 10 and Ohio State's 10 is gigantic. Alabama had eight of the top 38. Ohio State had one of the top 38. Ohio State dominated the middle rounds, right? Alabama was really top-heavy on elite dudes and then had practically nobody in the middle rounds. But I think that is, that is a great way to put it, Nathan, that in the end, they did have lots of good football players. They didn't have as many great football players as they often do. And that was enough to get them through the regular season. But then it was reflected in the fact that they lost by 30 to an Alabama team that tied the record with six first round picks. I do think that this draft and how it went for Ohio state and Alabama did help put a bow on how the season unfolded. So I, I picked the same thing Nathan said, and then Steven, you can't pick that. You have to do something different. (laughs) I mean, unless you want to do the same one, you can say the same one. No, 
No, it's, it's literally just the same one. It's this is just a mirror of what the season was. Like, it's it, it's a bore. It's not the most interesting conversation to make, but that's what the answer is. And, and the I, point I want to throw in real quick ahead, too. One ahead. of the things I kept thinking about this weekend was, now where would Chris Olave have gone in this draft? Or like, where do we think like Tyreek Smith if he had come out? Like, could he have climbed up into this in some way? Like, where would he have gone? Where would Thayer Munford and maybe even Nicholas Petit Frere gone in this draft class? Like, it's the, the hard to say in some of those cases. We're really speculating because it's guys who didn't come out and didn't go through pro day and stuff like that. But it, it I did it did keep reminding me throughout the weekend as I considered those things like, Hey, there's still a lot of like potentially NFL talent that's coming back to Ohio state next, this coming season too. And I do think we have to, we have to note, which is what you're saying that. Yeah. I mean, if we made a list of like Ohio state's best 10 players from last year, how many of those 10 were in this draft? You know, like Justin Fields is number one, but it's like Chris Olave is not Garrett Wilson's not Thayer Munford's not Nicholas Petit Frere is not Haskell Garrett is not. Zach Harrison is not Tyreek Smith is not right. Like Josh Proctor is not seven banks is not. That's a lot of, right. That's a lot of their best guys that yes. Pete Werner is good. Yes. Baron Browning and Tommy Togiai are good players, right. But Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis are good players, but I do think it is both reflective of this year, but it also gives hope for next year because there are a lot of those best guys who are going to be back. Um, Justin Hilliard, tough Borland, Drew Crispin, not drafted. I do want to say like PFF, like PFF in general, like it. PFF, their analysis of, of Justin Hilliard, cram it. My God. We talked so many times. It was like we all ended up picking Justin Hilliard to get drafted because PFF had him as a top 100 player. And it was like, oh, my gosh. It's like, no, it was. I mean, that's just maybe they're going by their rankings and I get it. But like that was just never true. And we got snookered a little bit. We all picked Justin Hilliard to go in the sixth round. Nathan at 188, me at 193, Steven at 197. We had the great draft discussion about how the Patriots will draft him and make him a special team star. He's like, no, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't get, he's a backup linebacker. He's like a backup linebacker. Like, what are we talking about? And it's funny. Everybody on Twitter gets immediately outraged. Like, oh, I can't believe this guy got drafted. Like, do you know how many good productive college football players don't get drafted? Matt Hinton who is like an interesting guy who discusses college football in an interesting way, immediately put out his all undrafted team. These are some of the college football stars who did not get picked uh, in this, in this draft, Jarrett Patterson, who's that Buffalo running back who like ran mm-hmm. over everybody this year. And it was like, Oh man, it's good. Ohio state didn't play Buffalo in the all American mix. We had an all American conversation on the all American committee. I was on where we like initially, I think we had initially had, I don't know if I say this, I think we initially put Jarrett Patterson on the All-American team. And then like right before we were going to release it, somebody was like, I really think it should be Najee Harris. (laughs) And then we were like, yeah, (laughs) it should be Najee Harris instead of Jarrett Patterson. So we came around on that. Wap Fillior, your friend and mine, the Indiana receiver, he didn't get picked. Um, Let's see. Defensively, Patty Fisher who was like an all-Big Ten pick at Northwestern for like 11 straight years. He didn't get picked. Dylan Moses, former five-star linebacker at Alabama, mm. he was the guy that would have given Alabama the title. Just like Justin Hilliard wasn't the 11th guy for Ohio State, but Luke Farrell gave him 10. We, did, we thought 10 Ohio State guys would get picked. We just thought it would be Hilliard instead of Farrell. Alabama got to 10 because I thought they would have 10 picked, and I thought their long snapper might make it 11. 
Their long snapper did get picked. Dylan Moses, who was a five-star recruit at linebacker and a starter at linebacker for them this year, did not get picked. So it's like, oh, no, Justin Hilliard and Tuff Borland didn't get picked. What are we going to do? It's like Dylan Moses didn't get picked. So, like, that's a thing. Marvin Wilson, who was, like, the last guy that Ohio State was trying to add to the 2017 recruiting class, he was the number six overall player in the class of 2017. It came down to Florida State and Ohio State, maybe somebody else. He went to Florida State, was the number six player, the Browns signed him as an undrafted free agent the moment the draft ended and gave him a boatload of money. He got a lot of money for an undrafted guy. That's another five-star guy who didn't get picked. So it's just one of those things of like, listen, I get it. Everybody likes Ohio State. You like your guys. There's a whole lot of good players that didn't get picked. Shakur Brown, cornerback from Michigan State, didn't get picked. Michigan State, from our friend Matt Wenzel at M Live. Michigan State did not have a player selected for the first time in 80 80- years think about that they've had at least one player drafted for 80 years ohio state doesn't even have that because ohio state had like a weird year at the end of cooper or in the midst of cooper where like they didn't have anybody picked you go through their draft history and it blows your mind but there is a reminder nathan it's like i know we all get caught up in our team right but i I don't know we were off and we could talk a little bit on the guys we were off on although we'll get into that later with the individual picks i don't know that there's any like outrage right about the ohio state draft because there's lots, there's more good productive players than there are spots in the draft. Yeah, and again, like someone like John, Justin Hilliard, who we were wrong on, you know, getting thinking he was going to get drafted. I mean, there's a parallel here to be made. I'm not going to say that what he did over his final three games equates to what Trey Sermon did, because Trey Sermon obviously ran away and just had amazing games. But when given the chance to play a bigger role, I thought Justin Hilliard showed something else. So I thought that that was possibly something to get him in that sixth, seventh round mix. But uh, you're right. Like there's, it, it's tough to get drafted. And, and some of those streaks that you talk about too, uh, they can be a little bit sketchy because I, I covered a team one time that had one of those streaks, not nearly that long, but one that they were really proud of because it went like 20 years. And it was always like, could they have a sixth or seventh rounder this year to keep that streak going? Like that, like that meant something. And I think that that's a little bit, you want to be a program like Ohio state, where even if you have a weird blip like that, there's plenty more years where you have two of the top three picks and three in the top 20 and, and a, a, a quarterback going number 11, like those things matter more. Were you outraged by anything, Steven, or you're good? No, I'm good. Even with the Justin Hilliard thing, I mean, we kind of made a joke out of the the idea of how he would get drafted and why he would get drafted, right? It wasn't like we were saying, oh, he's going to help this team and be an impact player on the field. No, he's going to be a special teams player and be like another guy who was the exact same player, and we were having fun with it. The only outrage we I would possibly have, and we'll get to it once you guys get to that point of the podcast where we're talking about Trey Sermon, that's the only pick I have any outrage with just because he went so early. Everybody else, I mean – Justin Hill, you're not getting drafted. Isn't that shocking? So this is the weirdest thing. This makes me like want to go back and do a, a, a story on this. Maybe there are listeners who lived it. None of us were living it in the moment, I guess. 1998, Ohio State had no players drafted in 1998 for the first time since the draft started in 1936. But it's not like Ohio State was awful in 1997. They went uh, 10 and 3. They finished six and two in the Big Ten. They finished number 12 in the overall rankings. They were as high as number four before losing to number one Michigan to end the regular season. And then they went to the Sugar Bowl and lost to Florida State. And in the drafts around them, they had two first rounders in 1997 with Orlando Pace and Sean Springs, two of the first three picks. 
And then in 1999, they had three first rounders with David Boston, Antoine Winfield, and Andy Katzenmoyer. And in 1998, they didn't have a single guy drafted. That's so weird. That's not like an indication of like a dip in talent. What's wrong with the program? I think the Michigan State thing is this is like a little bit of the end of D'Antonio when it got away from him a little bit. The transition to Mel Tucker, a weird pandemic year. Guys not jumping off the tape. Nathan, isn't that weird that Ohio State had no guys drafted in 1998? It blows my mind. Yeah, and I was I actually just looked up real quick at the team, and I think like Katsumori was a sophomore on the 97 team. Joe Germain was a junior. So like it was just one of those kind of weird years, I think, where the very best players were not even draft eligible in some cases. So I do think the, the other thing, and we'll get to the players then again, is this the standard now that, again, it is hard to have 10 players picked. It's not normal. Landis had a stat that that it's only the third time since they shrunk the draft to seven rounds in 1994 that any programs had back-to-back years of 10 guys. Alabama had a run of three straight years, 17, 18, 19. USC did it in the mid-2000s, now Ohio State the last two years. 10 players drafted last year, 10 this year. And we talked about it on the on the middle podcast of this stretch, Nathan, that we had the Justin Fields podcast, then we had the podcast yesterday. We were saying, like, is this a good draft? I don't know, whatever. But, like, to me, one of the other things of this is, like, this wasn't a draft oozing with talent. They were good, solid Ohio State football players, and they still got to 10. Like, that, this is the threshold now, because you don't have to go back all that far in Ohio State history to find – a draft that like in 2013, they had three guys. That was like off the urban's first team that went undefeated in 2012, 2013 draft, Jonathan Hankins in round two, John Simon in round four, Reed Fragle in round seven. Like think how, how boring that is. 2010. That's a good 2009 Ohio state team, 2010 draft fourth round Thaddeus Gibson. And then three guys in the seventh round, Doug Worthington, Kurt Coleman, Austin Spittler. That's it. 2008. Off the 2007 team that played for the national title against LSU, the 2008 draft, three guys. Vernon Golston was the sixth overall pick in the draft and two seventh rounders, Larry Grant and Kirk Barton. Like that, that's how it used to be. That's the team I covered. That was like what happened in the Trestle era. They had a bunch of good. This draft is actually like a very almost Trestle draft, right? It's like, listen, like Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis are good players. Pete Waters a good player, right? Like Trey Sermon's a good player. Tommy Togia is a good player. Nah, not superstars, like one superstar. And then a bunch of good, solid guys. But Nathan, we are now accustomed to, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, it should probably be at least like three or four superstars in every class. But it is a reminder that here we are saying, ah, pretty good draft. Most programs, if they had 10 guys picked in a single draft, they'd be having a parade. Well, I think, isn't it almost like a, maybe the last draft that'll be like this for Ohio State, where it's it's a little bit of a lot of those things. Like you're saying, it's a very Cooper-like draft, but it's also, you get the the things that Urban changed as far as like bringing in more of that like five-star talent. So you get guys like Sean Wade and like Jonathan Cooper, who even if they didn't hit like the, and it's hard to say, I guess, for Wade, I mean, All-American and everything, but just in terms of the we began grading that 2020 season he had, but like guys who go lower in the draft, but maybe still have that underlying talent that pushes him through. And you get the Ryan day uh, kind of uh, addition on top of that, which is bringing in the transfer quarterback in Justin Fields, who becomes what he becomes and goes number 11 overall. And now we start to see in the future, I think it's more of the combination of 
Meyer and and Day going forward, where you know Urban raised everything to this new level. Now, what does Ryan Day do with it, especially in terms of that skill position talent that makes that you know repetitive quarterback wide receiver at the top of this draft, you know, year in and year out. I think we're probably going to see that kind of piling up here in the future. I think what's interesting is the draft they had, even with the 10 players drafted, the quality that it was should have been happening in next year's draft. Just based on, I mean, we keep talking about the recruiting dip because of the transition of power with that 2019 class. Instead of it just being Justin Fields as a first rounder, if you just base it off of that, Garrett Wilson and Zach Harrison would be your first rounders. And then it's just a bunch of guys going late in the, in the third and fourth round, sixth and seventh rounds as well. But it's really just Garrett and Zach and that's all you have. But because so many of those guys in the 2018 class had to come back, that gets pushed up a year. So that, you know, the, the dip that you would maybe see in the recruiting also paying off three years later on the NFL draft in the NFL draft, it just happens this year. And the next year things probably get back to normal. So we, we didn't talk about this in the Luke Farrell portion that we're going to play because it, it happened after that fact. But I listened to the Jacksonville Jaguars have their sort of draft wrap-up news conference. I didn't hear Urban. I don't know if he did it later, but I listened to Trent Balky, the GM, who sounds just like Marty Funkhauser from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Larry, why didn't you come to my cousin's wedding? It's unbelievable. It is Unbelievable. If you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, the late, great Dave Osborne, Super Dave Osborne, who, what's his actual name? Bob Einstein. Um, Bob, Bob Einstein. Einstein. Yeah. Larry, I can't believe you put a hole in my sweater and we drafted Luke Farrell at pick 145. Larry. I can't yeah. believe how much he sounds like it. It is unbelievable. What my probably my favorite character on Kirby Enthusiasm. And if, if anybody's ever watched the comedians in cars getting coffee with Seinfeld, there's oh, an yeah. incredible Bob Einstein. Uh, NSFW kid, kids don't watch it, but everybody else, it's pretty great. I don't feel bad referencing Kirby Enthusiasm because it's a little more modern. They made a Seinfeld reference on the NFL Network show. Seinfeld went off the air before like every single player in this draft was born. Seriously. Like white sports writers and announcers, you have to stop the Seinfeld references. It is, it is ancient. The only reason I know that show existed is because Wale made an entire mixtape where he just sampled a bunch of the, the episodes. I had no idea Jerry Seinfeld had a show before that came out. Yeah. I can guarantee you every single one of those players feel the same way. Yeah. So, like, let's not do it anymore. Please. Seriously. I get it, Rich Eisen. You liked it. It's not a current reference. So they said of the, he was asked about Trent Balky was asked about the Luke Farrell pick. And they said like, Oh, what about like Luke Farrell's lack of production? That was in the question, which if you're just looking at stats is a reasonable question. And he said, well, you know, talking to people at Ohio state and obviously we know the Ohio state people. Well, they said he was underutilized. And they also said <laughs> that they have another tight end on that roster. And that, he didn't say they said this, but he said, there's another tight end on that roster. Who's going to be one of the top tight ends next year and they also said he's underutilized too so one of the things they also said is they said they got to utilize the tight ends more like trent balky in the jaguars news conference was talking about how ohio state doesn't throw to the tight ends so and then he also did say that urban's recruiting experience did factor in to their draft approach that you know he knows these guys and they felt like that was an edge and it's like a, you know at some point you're going to lose that edge because Urban's going to be there and he's not going to have recruited these guys but it did factor in there so um, so Luke Farrell to, to Jacksonville certainly was interesting 
Is, is there anything else before we go to the picks? We've all been like glued to our couches, writing, talking for the last three days. Steven, anything we need to add before we let the people listen to our pick by pick analysis? No, I, I think we, we spent a good amount of time, you know, going in depth with every single one of those picks. And I think people are going to be interested with what we have to say. Um, I do think it's interesting. If he wants to be mad that Ohio State's not utilizing his tight ends, you can just go yell at your head coach now because it's his fault. I mean, this started when he showed up. So it's not like you can't go yell at somebody about it. But no, I, I think people are going to be interested in what we have to say over the next hour or so. Nathan, anything you want to add? No, just thanks to uh, everybody who stuck with us all weekend. Uh, everybody stuck with us through the whole season. This feels like the end of the season in a way that like the end of the season doesn't even fully feel like the end of the season. Like it's even spring ball is transitional. And then now this feels like a, a punctuation point. And then now we've got a couple months to uh, sleep a little bit and, and figure out some other fun things to report on this team with. And so thanks to everybody who has been here and I hope you've all enjoyed it, but it doesn't stop for us. I mean, we're still going to be back Tuesday with another Buckeye talk and uh, looking forward to that too. If you didn't add that last part, I was going to say, all right, thanks, everybody. See you in September and see what people did. <laughs> August. I mean, I mean, honestly, if we were a normal podcast, it's like, oh, it's like, ha, ha, ha. What if we joked about not podcasting five days a week in the off season? So, I mean, you mean like everybody else does? We're still going five days a week. I do want to wrap this up with how terrible we were. This is how many I made an, an average rating of of where we all picked where we thought guys would go. So then I averaged that, right? So this is how many spots off our average was compared to where guys actually went. Pete Warner, we were 31 spots off. We said 91, he went 60. And we were so equally, an entire round. We were equally off too high and too low. Yeah. Josh Myers, our average was 95. He went 62. That's 33 off. That's another full round off. Wyatt Davis was the best. This was the best. Wyatt Davis, our average was 74. He won 86, 12 spots off. That's, that's reasonable. Trey Sermon, our average was 137. He went, one, he went 88. That's 49 spots off. That's a round and a half off. That we underestimated him. Baron Browning, we said 62. He went 105. That's 43 spots off overestimating him another round and a half miss tommy Tokii, we said 93 he went 132 that's another 39 spots off again a round and a half overestimating tommy Tokii. sean wade we said 112 he went 160 38 spots off more than a round overestimating him and then jonathan cooper this was the second best one. We said 221. He went 239. And then the two that we can't do, we said Luke Farrell wouldn't be picked. He was the first pick in the fifth round. That's a pretty big mess. And we said Justin Hilliard would be picked. We said 192, which is solidly in the sixth, and he didn't go at all. So probably if we're doing a draft report card, probably D minus for all of us. Ah, I mean, what we, do we know? We are nowhere near Mel Kuyper. That's all. That's all that shows. Now, the other thing is we are accounting for our mistakes. I also would like to call out. I, I don't know if I did this. Did I already do this? Did I call out Chris Sims for being a no. dingleberry because he no. projected Justin Fields to go 32nd? Chris Sims, a human who makes money talking about the NFL draft and actually has been decent 
on some quarterback projections recently. Like in 2018, he said Lamar Jackson would be the best quarterback out of that group. And he went fifth of that quarterback group last pick in the first round. And then he wound up winning an MVP. So like credit to Chris Sims for that. Chris Sims, you were a dingleberry to say that Justin Fields was going to be the 37th, 32nd pick in this draft. And then like, then Cynthia Freeland, Nathan, as we both saw on the NFL network, she said that she talked to 16 scouts after the draft when they were honest about their QB board. And she said eight of those 16 said they had Justin Fields at the top of their board. Now I'm we've gotten, we've gotten some pushback. What are you tired of? I'm, I'm like, okay. I don't know what we're supposed to do with that information because those eight teams could have been eight teams who are very secure in who their quarterback is. So they weren't going to take Justin Fields anyway, if they were in the position to do so. It's just, I get it. We all felt like there were some things out there about Justin Fields that weren't true and whatnot. But at the end of the day, everybody loved Justin Fields, but the people who were making the decisions, which is why he went to win 11th. Well, so another I, way to look at it is that if you're right and it's teams that already have a quarterback in place, that means eight teams that are better at evaluating quarterbacks had Justin Fields ranked number one. But it's also there were some teams yeah. there that, that had other needs. But it's just about what, why even say that to somebody when you know you're not drafting them anyway. It's just, who did that? What what did that information do for people after the fact, or even before the fact that hey, this is a, a random scout what? thinks Justin Fields is pretty good. This is a very odd thing for you to get mad about. We get I mad about dumb thing that scouts say all the time. I actually find this a little bit enlightening that you're not going to give the information necessarily away before the draft, but after the draft, you'll say, "Well, this is what our board was," and it I gives find you it very context. enlightening because it's. I mean, it's it's a, it's it's not just one guy saying something randomly. It's even though it's anonymous, it's you're getting 16 opinions and coming to a consensus. And the thing that I don't quite have a handle on and by quite have a handle on, I mean, I have no idea about. I don't know, like how much work the Kansas City Chiefs put into the best quarterbacks in the draft. I don't yeah. know how much work the Seattle right. Seahawks put into the best. Like when you have a quarterback, how much time do you spend into going, well, who's better? Uh, Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. It's like, uh, does it matter? But do you still do it anyway in case Patrick Mahomes is abducted by aliens three days before the draft and you have to trade up for a quarterback? I, I would imagine at, almost as an exercise, you might do it anyway and you might break down film on guys because you have area scouts, you have position coaches who look at guys. What else is your quarterback's coach going to do during draft, you know, draft prep? Your quarterback's Patrick Mahomes. Is he only supposed to look at fifth rounders you might take as a third stringer? Or should he look at Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and Trey Lance and Justin Fields film? I don't know the answer to that. We did get some pushback on Twitter of like, well, if she said, and she said it as the number one quarterback on their board, and she made it clear she meant yeah. ahead of Trevor Lawrence. Yes. And then some people on Twitter were saying that can't be right. That must be teams who are like, well, we're not counting Trevor Lawrence because, of course, he's number one. So then number one on our board after him because like, Trevor Lawrence isn't even on the board. But then we have Justin Fields ahead of Zach Wilson and Trey Lance. I don't know. Maybe I could understand if that's actually what the scouts meant. I'm not questioning her. In the end, I thought it was context of it makes me think Chris Sims is an even bigger dingleberry for putting Justin Fields 32nd. And listen, we all said he'd go top 10 and he went 11th. So like Carolina passed on him, Denver passed on him, Detroit passed on him. People could have traded up higher and they didn't. But anybody, Charlie Casserly, who is like a major dingleberry. If, every time I see Charlie Casserly's face on the NFL network, I want to punch a screen. Like he, he had Justin Fields as 24 to the Steelers. 
like in his second to last mock draft. And then like the day of the draft, he moved him up to nine. So like he had him at 24 while everybody was discussing it. And then when it was time to actually like go on the record and be a reasonable human being, then he jumped him 15 spots to nine. So are you just trolling him? Are you just trying to be a jerk when you have him at 24? So like nobody, he was never going to go 32. He was never going to go 24. So for everybody who ever predicted that, you're a dingleberry. And you should be accountable for that. We were just accountable for all of our terrible picks. Most people, many people in this draft process who have a lot of strong opinions and we're a podcast of strong opinions are never accountable for it. And Justin Fields went through a lot of crap as a result. So Chris Sims, who was invited on this podcast, you in this situation, I don't know you personally, but in this situation, you were a dingleberry with your Justin Fields analysis. And I think that's important to say. Yeah, I was always willing to listen to arguments as to why someone would take Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or even Mac Jones over Justin Fields. I could, I'll listen to those arguments. It never made sense to me of him plummeting all the way down there because there was always going to be some team that needs a quarterback who was going to recognize what he was and trade up to get him. They're just too valuable. They're, they're just too valuable. Like these, they, they, they don't grow on trees. I know that there were five selected in the first 15 picks this year, but you can go back to some other – drafts where there's maybe one one or two quarterbacks taken in the first round and um he was just too special that that was never going to happen and i thought that was of of all the things that happened in the draft process around justin fields this year the the leaks and all that stuff and the erroneous analysis that some people had this is one of the things that always just made me the most upset on his behalf was it was insulting that someone to think that someone wasn't going to do what the bears did which is realize the value there was to even trade away a first round pick next year and still move up to get him. It got annoying when it stopped just being about football stuff, whether you think he gets stuck on his first read or not, that's just how maybe you view film and that's whatever. I'm not the greatest football analyst in the world. So I don't, I'm not going to, I don't think that's true, but whatever. It's when you start saying things where coaches and player and teammates can come out and immediately, you know, combat that when you're saying he's not working hard and he's not tough and all that. stuff. that's when it gets annoying because it becomes less about him as a talent and more about what his character is. And I mean, there's enough examples of him being the polar opposite of that. I'm going to give one more Dingleberry award before we get to the picks. And, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to criticize Sean Wade. Good luck to Sean Wade at pick number 160 to Baltimore. Sean Wade made four first-team All-American teams. Greg Newsom made one. It was lazy All-American voting. And, and it's just like, it's unfortunate. I know it was a pandemic, and we knew it at the time, but it, was, it wasn't based on fact. And so the American Football Coaches Association, the AP, ESPN, and the Sporting News had Sean Wade as one of two first-team cornerbacks. Patrick Sertan was a guy who made like every team. And then like JC Horn, who was a top 10 pick, like didn't make any first team All-American teams. And it's not like he's from Moorhead State. He's from South Carolina. Greg Newsom, first rounder, made one by the Athletic. Derek Stingley Jr., who's going to be like a top five pick next year at LSU, made one. So poor job. I mean, it's just, well, you just have to live in the world. You have so, to live with your eyeballs. Well, I agree Davis with the Newsom. Yeah, well, why, uh, yeah, but Wyatt's was at least decent. It wasn't a complete, like, what are you doing here? Um, I'm fine. But it was still, it was still, he was a consensus All American on reputation more than performance in 2020. Wyatt Davis was, is that what you're yes. saying? Right. I yes. thought Sean, offensive line for 
people who aren't scouts is harder to yeah. evaluate. Absolutely. Right. Sean, yeah. Sean Wade was easier to it evaluate. It was too obvious. He made four. It, it's too obvious. And I understand we're pandemic. Derek Stanley, I mean, LSU didn't have a good year this year, and he didn't have necessarily as much a good, as good of a year as he had in 2019. So I can understand why he didn't make a lot of them, but Newsom clearly should have been. Even I don't care that he plays for Northwestern. He clearly should have been on a lot of those All-American teams. And it probably didn't help him that he didn't play a lot in that, in that Big Ten championship game because he was hurt. All right, let's get to the picks. The four picks on Sunday, Tommy Togiai, Luke Farrell, Sean Wade, Jonathan Cooper. We appreciate you guys listening to Buckeye Talk. We'll be back on Tuesday with something not draft related. Um, for now, draft analysis after this. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk here on the final day of the 2021 NFL Draft. The first Ohio State player off the board goes to the hometown team here in the fourth round. It was the 100 and, well, now I've lost track, 132nd pick. Correct. I believe mm-hmm. Tommy Togiai to the Browns uh, who need some impact in the defensive interior. Doug, let's start there because you know the Browns better than any of the, the, the rest of us. We, we know the Ohio State side of things. But tell Ohio State fans why the Browns wanted Tommy Togiai. All right. So I was on the Browns call with a member of their front office and Tommy Tokiai when they talked about this pick. So they released Sheldon Richardson this offseason. They got rid of Larry Ogan Joby. Those were the two starting defensive tackles for the Browns last year. They're looking at a three-man defensive tackle rotation this year between Andrew Billings, who they signed from the Bengals before last season, but then Andrew Billings opted out. Jordan Elliott, who was their third round pick last year and was part of their rotation defensive tackle last year. And Malik Jackson, who's a veteran. I think they signed to a one-year deal from Philadelphia. Those are the three guys they're looking at. Togi becomes the fourth guy in that defensive tackle room. I think he's a rotational guy this year. I would bet he probably is fourth among defensive tackles in snaps this year. Kind of how Jordan Elliott was for them a year ago. But the Browns are a good enough franchise. They're a deep enough roster right now. They're drafting a year ahead, right? And so you can see there are no stars blocking him at defensive tackle for the Browns. There's some theorizing, could Sheldon Richardson come back? Maybe. I think Tommy Togiai is a rotational little bit of a dude this year. I think he has a chance to be a starter defensive tackle for the Browns in 2022 as they look ahead. And maybe Malik Jackson's not back. And then Andrew Billings, I don't know. But there's no stars there. And I think they view him this way. And I think, Nathan, you wrote about that sort of coming into the draft and people saying, listen, this guy maybe needs a little bit more development. But if you're getting second round talent in the fourth round, I think that's exactly how the Browns are viewing this. Well, what I think is really interesting is everything you just described kind of mirrors his Ohio State experience, right? Go back to 2019. He's like fourth or fifth in snaps in the rotation at defensive tackle. Had some good guys ahead of him, but not like all American guys, you know, Devontae. Um, Devon, Devon Hamilton, Hamilton. Uh, Jay Sean Cornell. There was some other guy, you know, they, they had good guys in the middle. Robert Landers. Landers. Yeah. yeah. So they had good guys up there, but, but not guys who were, you know, Devon Hamilton's um, in the NFL and Cornell got picked in the seventh round, but not, not Blazers. So the opportunity was there. He always had these, these guys who he always had this talent kind of simmering and it was just a matter of when the opportunity was going to come and Ohio state could afford to let him grow into that. And Steven, that seems to be, you know, this is the blueprint that they probably sell to a lot of guys is come here, stick it out. You're going to get opportunities as a backup guy, as a rotational guy. And then when that opportunity then comes to, to get out in front, make the most of it. And Tommy Togia, I think obviously did that in 2020. 
Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, he is the first member of the 2018 recruiting class who's been drafted. So now that clock starts for that class. We'll see a lot more of those guys a year from now. But I am wondering, given where he was drafted as a third year guy who could have come back and maybe put a little bit more on film and shown a little bit more if you know he should have come back for his fourth year, given where he now, if he'd have been a third round draft pick or a second round draft pick, then it makes a lot of sense. But for a guy who who had another year, even in a normal situation where you're not getting that, you know, extra year of eligibility, this is kind of low for a guy who only spent three years in college and really only has one year of, of starter film. As you guys just mentioned, he was in the rotation in 2019, but he was the fourth guy. And really he was the third guy amongst amongst nose tackles because you had Devon Hamilton and BB Landers taking up the majority of those snaps last year was his first time just being the guy. And he played every meaningful snap outside of the national championship game. Cause he had COVID. Maybe he could have benefited from another year. So I asked him about that. <laughs> Thanks, I was Doug. waiting for you to stop talking so I could jump in and, and give the answer to actually, the actually 91 second question you asked about that. <laughs> So I thought it was interesting, and I don't know how much he talked about this before, but he did say that he's healthy, and he said, I wanted to get out while I'm healthy. I didn't want to come back and risk an injury, and just the, pan- the pandemic uncertainty. Just, you know, when he made the decision in December, we didn't know. We don't know what the rest are. When he made it in January, we don't know. what. The- and then again, especially like you missed the national title game because of COVID. Now, he didn't say that specifically, but that uncertainty, he was like, I'm just going to go. And he said, I didn't know. He wasn't shocked. He didn't say, oh, man, Friday was the worst day ever because I couldn't believe I didn't get drafted, right? He said, I figured I'd go between the second and fourth round. I kind of thought this is where I'd be, and this all seems fine. So, you know, what's a guy going to say? But sometimes guys are honest. Some guys guys are tweeting like, league's sleeping on me. They'll never regret this, you know? Like, he, he wasn't like that. So I think the Browns do seem as developmental. They think he's quick twitch. They think he has a good burst off the ball. But there was a lot of discussion on the call that the draft expert guys on TV were saying he's a good pass rusher, but he needs he needs to get better against the run. And both the Browns and Togiai were like, no, he's good against the run. He needs to get better as a pass rusher. Because someone asked like, hey, the TV guys are saying this. And the Browns were like, yeah, no, that's not what we think. So run stopper. We saw that he can push the pocket a little bit. And it's, it's just a really good fit because they don't need him to be great right now. And so to him, it's like, well, that developmental year, I think he does probably need a developmental year, right? It's just, you're going to take it in college. You can take it in the NFL. So maybe if he did it in college, he could have been a second round pick next year. He's going to do it in the NFL with the Browns. And then he might be ready to be a starter in the NFL in year two, when he otherwise would have just been going into the draft. I can respect I this that before. answer. Yeah, I mentioned this before, but I was on a call with Mel Kuyper Jr., and he's just one of many draft analysts, although I think he's a pretty good one. But I asked him specifically about Tommy Togia several weeks ago, and he said the same thing you're saying, Doug. He didn't try to oversell him. He didn't, you know, he talked about the good things he does, but says this is not like a, a probably a first or second round pick yet. He's probably still a guy who's going to have to grow into still the player he's going to become. But some team could take him in maybe the fourth round. That was literally the round he said, like take him in the fourth round and you might be getting second round value in the long run because of what he could grow into. So now that's what the Browns are hoping they got here in the 2020 NFL draft. We are back on Buckeye Talk. More Ohio State players coming off the board, this time early in the fifth round. And it's a former Ohio State player, or former Ohio State coach, I should say, making the pick. And and the, really, maybe the first like true surprise of the draft so far, Luke Farrell in the, the fifth round to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Urban Meyer 
seeing some value. And I, I was just talking to Steven off camera and saying, I think we, as much as we're surprised by this, I think we also maybe screwed up a little bit by not talking about Luke Farrell more going into the draft because Kevin Wilson did say and coach speak, whatever, but he said it, scouts had told him Luke Farrell might be the best blocking tight end coming out of the draft. If you're someone like Urban Meyer, who knows that the hands and things like that are there, even though they're not utilized that much at Ohio state, then I could see someone seeing value in him. Now I'm, I'm not surprised he got drafted. I am surprised he got drafted this high. None of us. What do you mean? You're not surprised he got drafted. We talked about him on our draft podcast that went two hours for like nine seconds. And none of us talked about him getting drafted. So now you're going to say you're not surprised he got drafted. Then why didn't you pick him to get drafted? Because I didn't predict him to get drafted. Doesn't mean I'm surprised he did. All right. So here's the deal with Luke Farrell. I've been I've talked to Luke Farrell like Michigan week for like a big Luke Farrell story that I still haven't written. This is how I operate. Luke Farrell, Northeast Ohio guy, Urban recruited him hard. Luke Farrell went through the process, very pragmatic in the recruiting process, looked at everybody, looked at Notre Dame, looked at Boston College, looked at some other schools, decided he wanted to go to Ohio State, but he wanted to announce that he wanted to commit to Ohio State a certain way. And Urban, they, they, Ur, Luke thought that Urban, and I think this is right, Urban's like a handshake guy. It means something to Urban Meyer. He's kind of that old-fashioned guy. You shake Urban's hand, that seals a deal. So Luke wanted to commit by going to Friday Night Lights, and he called Urban Meyer, and he said, can I talk to you? And he called him out. They met at the 50-yard line in the block O at Friday Night Lights. And Luke Farrell shook Urban Meyer's hand and said, I'm committing to Ohio State. Here we are five years later, and Urban Meyer picks Luke Farrell. Now, I'm not sure it's a direct line from that block O to the, th- the third day of the NFL draft, but there's not many wiggles in it. Like, that's Urban, Urban Meyer like Urban Meyer might have told that story in the Jacksonville draft prep to sway everybody that, yeah, Luke Farrell's worth this pick. Yeah, watch the film, but this is the kind of guy he is. That if Urban wants a couple guys like that in his room, and we can talk, we'll talk more about Urban in this draft on the, when we wrap it up on Buckeye Talk, he's taking a lot of guys he knows. He's taking a lot of guys that he recruited, right? They took that guy from USC that Ohio State finished second to, J2 Faley. They took, the two Clemson guys, they're taking Luke Farrell. Like they're taking guys that Urban is familiar with. And like when you know that Luke Farrell story, I think it adds to it. Yeah, he's big. Yeah, he can block. Yeah, he's tough. Yeah, he's he can also catch the ball for you. But I think there's something with the way Urban views Luke Farrell that he wants a guy like that in his locker room. And why not? Fifth round, let's do it. I think a story like that is a tiebreaker, right? If you were already planning on with that 145th pick that you were going to take a tight end and maybe it came down to, this guy and Luke Farrell, that Farrell story is what puts it over the top. That, I, that's if it's if there is a direct correlation, that's what it is. It's we want a tight end in this with this pick. We're going to take a tight end, and we're down to two or three guys. How can they separate each other, from each other when the skill sets are probably si- similar? Because what he's a blocking tight end right now. You know, we've talked a lot on this podcast um, about over the years about the fact that Ohio State doesn't utilize its tight ends liberally in the passing game and what that supposedly means for recruiting and trying to attract talent at that position. Yet they keep doing this. They keep getting guys into the NFL and, and guys who stick around for a little bit. And Luke Farrell certainly seems like he could be one of those guys. Steven, I'm curious your perspective on this because we've got, you know, they've got two guys committed for 2022. They, they keep going out and finding tight ends. And sometimes, sometimes it's, you know, the Jeremy Ruckerts who is a, you know, a, a five-star prospect. Sometimes it's guys who are farther down the list and, 
and this kind of is further evidence that they can develop those guys. I think Luke Farrell is a better implication of what tight ends should expect when they come to Ohio State. Jeremy Ruckert's going to be a different story. He'll probably be a second-round pick next year. That's a top 100 guy that Ohio State never gets. But Luke Farrell, a top 200 guy, barely 191 in his class, while guys like Benji Gosnell and Bennett Christian and you know Sam Hart, those guys are you know mid-200s, 300 guys. This is what your development track looks like. Five years here, right? Luke Farrell was a 2016 guy four or five years in the program and at best maybe you're a fourth or fifth round pick this is should be your expectation as a tight end here we also think their starting tight ends are 2022 in 2022 are going to be a converted defensive player and a converted receiver so yeah and it, yeah i mean like okay I, I, like luke farrell is what luke farrell i mean luke farrell is luke farrell awesome for luke farrell i i mean like i don't think it means anything for like Guys saying like, oh, I'm going to go to Ohio State and be a fifth round pick. That's my dream. Right. I mean, like this guy was a really good, productive player who had three really good years at Ohio State, who's an Ohio kid and came in and overachieved his draft ranking. But I, I, what they're going to have like guys are beating down their door to be Ohio State tight ends because of Luke Farrell. No, but this is the kind of this is how it's worked. I mean, don't, you don't see a parallel here between the other guys who've gone on to the NFL from Ohio State in recent years. No, I guess, but I don't know. I mean, like, I don't think Luke Farrell picked Ohio State because Jeff Hyerman and Nick Bennett got picked in the third round. So I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't, I want to see it with some more recruiting at tight end, right? I mean, Jeremy Ruckert is, as, as Steven just said, is, is an exception. I don't, I don't see the next Jeremy Ruckert in recruiting and they're taking athletes and turning them into tight ends because I'm not exactly sure how the tight end recruiting is going. So this does not tell me anything about recruiting tight ends at Ohio State, in my opinion. Well, it tells us that uh, Urban Meyer likes Luke Farrell, and he goes in the fifth round. <laughs> and that's the first Ohio State player that Meyer has taken so far. We kind of speculated. I, I thought it was going to be tough for him to get through this draft without taking one Ohio State player. And maybe this is the only one he ends up taking, but there are still some more guys on the board, and, and we'll see. The Jaguars obviously have a lot of needs. I picked – Urban Meyer to take an Ohio state player with the first pick of the fifth round, which is what he did. I just thought it would be Sean Wade and it's not Sean Wade. It's Luke Farrell. We're back on Buckeye talk with another draft update here. Ohio state's Sean Wade's draft weight ends at number 160 in the fifth round to the Baltimore Ravens. This is a guy that a year ago at this time, we were talking about him as, oh, next year, next year's draft, he'll be, what, first-round pick, second-round pick, something high in this draft. We thought it was a big deal that he was coming back to Ohio State, and it was because they needed him last season. But he obviously did not have the season he wanted moving from his slot cornerback role where he had thrived out to the outside where he, he struggled pretty much consistently throughout the year. And I think maybe that's where to start this discussion is – you know, we talk all the time about like cautionary tales, like guys who regret coming back to college. And I, you know, it's this is a tough case because I think he proved this year that he was not an outside cornerback, but he probably also proved that he wasn't ready to go to the NFL last year. You wonder, yeah, he would have got maybe drafted higher last year or maybe drafted higher if he'd opted out. I don't know if it necessarily set him up to have long term success in the NFL, though. Sometimes when you try to prove what you are, you prove what you're not. And that's a tough reality to face. And there is a difference between draft stock and where you go and preparing yourself to succeed once you get there. So, you know, we, we try to 
learn these lessons and apply them to different guys. But again, I hope everybody's watching all these videos on our YouTube channel. You know, Tommy Togiai, could Tommy Togiai have come back? Maybe he would have gone higher. Maybe he would have gone lower. Maybe he would have gotten nitpicked. Maybe he would have proved. Sean Wade did come back. Now, I do think the, the difference with Sean Wade is there was a position switch. A lot of time guys come back just to sort of put more film of the same thing out there. And it's not always a good thing. He thought when you're a slot corner, I think you limit your upside in terms of draft stock. So he came back for draft stock to play outside and then he didn't play as well as expected. And so he didn't go as high as expected. So I, I do think there's a specificity to Sean Wade's decision that it probably still was the smart thing to do. He just didn't have the season. He thought the pandemic had something to do with that. You know, he also owns some of that, right? I mean, it's your level of play, but yeah, I mean, there's no guarantee coming back. I hope our fans, I hope the people listening to this realize that Ohio State fans realize that lots of times fans are like, oh, he should come back. Coming back more of you in college is not always a guarantee that more is good. So I think this is to some degree an example of that. Yeah, I think he almost would have been better to just leave it up to assumption, right? Because the assumption was, oh, he's a preseason All-American. He's going to play at that level as a guy who was a number two cornerback in the country behind the, the, the number one corner was Jeff Okuda, who ended up being the third pick in the NFL draft the year before that. So the assumption was, oh, he's going to be somewhere in that stratosphere or at least Damon Arnett level, which was still good enough to be a first round pick, whether we agree with it or not. All five of the five stars from the 2017 class have now been drafted. Baron Browning and going yesterday and Sean Wade going today. And then obviously Jeff Okuda and Chase Young being last year and Wyatt Davis going yesterday as well. But yeah, it's, you can't compare it to Wyatt Davis because that would have been him just putting more of the same thing on film and it hurt him. With Sean Wade, because it was a position switch, it was probably better to just leave it up to assumption that, oh yeah, he's going to be able to do this. Look how great he was in this role. But again, there's a difference between getting drafted and having a career in the NFL. Those two yep. things are are linked, but they can sometimes be um, mutually exclusive. And, you know, th- he's going to a, a program now, or a franchise now, that gets good value, I think. And they've gotten good value out of Ohio State players recently. They got J.K. Dobbins in the second round last year. He looks like he's going to be the real deal in the NFL. They got Malik Harrison in, like, what was the third or fourth round? I thought that that was third round. So that I thought that was great value that they got last year. They – this is one of the better franchises in the NFL and they do smart things like this, especially I think on defense. I mean, they've put together good defenses for a long time and he's joining a pretty good secondary. I think he still has a chance to have a long NFL career. He doesn't have a chance to have a career as an outside cornerback a number one cornerback. That was what he shot for. He didn't get there. That doesn't mean he can't come and be a, some kind of a hybrid defensive back, a slot corner safety, the kind of things he was at Ohio state when we thought he was one of the better defensive backs in the country. You know, like 12 years ago, Malcolm Jenkins was a really good cornerback at Ohio State who got drafted in the first round and got immediately moved to safety and has been in the NFL for more than a decade and has two Super Bowl rings. So I do think it's hard. Corner is such a premium position that it's like everybody wants to be an outside corner. Everybody wants to look at everybody as an outside corner, but it, it takes a special set of skills. So I do think Sean Wade, what he did in the slot, play some safety, roam a little bit. I think he's a good football player who had a rough year. So I would like to, I'm going to continue to be a jerk to you about this, Nathan. You texted again, Sean Wade, he goes 160. You predicted him to go at 106 and you text and say, I'm not shocked at where he went. 
So like, when are you surprised by anything? When are you, when do you say, you know what? That didn't go as I expected. Cause you know, who's not surprised me. I picked him to go in the fifth round. He went the fifth round. Steven huge whiff on this yeah, 87 at Sean Wade. Now I have my own whiffs on other guys, but you guys both overrated Sean Wade. I thought he couldn't hide from the film this year. And then if he's making a position switch, well, now you're taking like a safety. How much has he played there? Why would you do that before the fifth round? I'm I'm not surprised by this. But Nathan, you did think he'd go first pick in the fourth round. I did think that people would see the underlying skills, that what he put on tape in the 2018 and 2019 seasons. I thought that those would push through. So I was definitely wrong about that. I guess just saying I'm not shocked that he fell was realizing that I was probably going to be higher on him than some people were when I was picking him to go in the the fourth round. But I there's I think you're reading too much into the difference between shocked and like no, but every time I understand, I understand like, why he fell to 160 oh, is what I was I'm saying. totally wrong on this prediction, but I'm not shocked by it. It's like, well, what are you? I mean, like, this is like the anything could happen thing. It's like, of course, anything could happen. At some point, you have to be shocked. I'll say I was shocked that Baron Browning lasted as long as he did. I had Baron Browning I'm going shocked. 59 and he went 105. I'm a, I'll be I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked. Just be shocked every now and then. Well, I'm. we were all totally wrong about Sean Wade being a first or second round cornerback a year ago or in October when we were still talking about him that way. And he was not. He goes in the fifth round today. But as we've all just said, I think that there's still a lot of upside there for him. And we were talking about this yesterday in relation to Baron Browning and Pete Warner about how sometimes your draft status can then sometimes color their perception of you as you're getting your career started. And now Sean Wade is coming in as a, a fifth round pick and the expectations are a little bit lower now. I think it, it's, he's at a tough place. I mean, he's at a place where there already is a strong defense. They already have good defensive backs in Baltimore. That's going to be the case pretty much anywhere in the NFL. But I, I think he also comes in with probably a chip on his shoulder and a, a, a and less expectations. If he had come in last year, or having after having opted out and was a first or second round pick with all those expectations and what we know now, I think that would have been a tougher scenario for him. Now, but I don't want to spin it too far. Listen, if you're a third round pick and you have a bad camp, they're keeping you. They're not going to yeah. cut their third round pick. If you have a if you're a fifth round pick and you they're have gone. a bad camp, you might be gone. So it's like I, I will I will plant my flag on the corner of it is better to be picked higher. Mm-hmm. But I also understand what you're saying. I mean, if Sean Wade can translate this into motivation in some way. Um, and if he felt pressure last year to live up to the legacy of number one corners at Ohio State, and he felt he had to be the next Jeff Okuda or Marshawn Lattimore, and he couldn't be that. I do think from a mental standpoint, Sean Wade should have a burden lifted. But on the other hand, man, you better do something because they don't know fifth round picks anything. Which is why, I, I, yeah, I'm obviously shocked I had him going in the 80s and he went almost 100 picks later than that. I just thought there was a middle ground because most teams just looked at him and thought, he's not going to be an outside corner anyway, so I, let's get him in this position and have him play this specific role for us and not even think about the corner aspect of it. Let's just throw out the 2020 film because that doesn't matter to us. He's never going to be in that position with us, which is why I am shocked he dropped this low because that, that was my thinking, that some team was just going to think, Throw out the 2020 film, it doesn't matter. The 2019 film is what we wanted for. Those non-conventional secondary roles, the the nickelback, the the slot corner, those hybrid safety, those things are growing in importance in the NFL. And I think that the things I've read, just the recognition of NFL personnel about how important those positions are. I've seen things, someone, people lobbying for there to be like a nickelback 
position for the Pro Bowl, things like that. Like th- those positions are growing in importance and in the way people recognize them. So I think that's another opportunity here for Sean Wade that he's coming in at a time where if you can carve that niche, again, you're not a starting outside cornerback, but you can still prove yourself to have great value for a team. We're back on Buckeye Talk. The final Ohio State player taken in the 2021 NFL Draft goes in seventh round. It was Jonathan Cooper with the 239th overall pick. He goes to the Denver Broncos, who you might remember selected Baron Browning at the end of the third round in uh, back on Saturday. And, Stephen, this was a guy that we were hearing coming out of Pro Day. He's the one who said teams are looking at him as an outside linebacker. I, I still don't know if that makes a lot of sense athletically, but I think versatility if he can show it in some way is probably his best chance to make a roster as a his seventh round selection would suggest I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's going to work because I'd be lying to you I will say that because Denver Broncos run a 3-4 it's a good place to at least try it to see if it works it's not going to work I know that for a fact but listen if he if he wants to try that out just because from an athletic standpoint he's just not the prototypical defensive end you go to a place that's running a 3-4 that gives you the best possible chance to do that all uh, good good luck to him and what whatnot but I don't think this is something that's going to work out he's never played linebacker before and yeah he had a good year last year but you also have to put it in context of he could have had that exact same year the problem wasn't his year was that guys like Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith didn't take the the type of step that we would expect from guys like that to take so it's a good year only because everybody around him who should have had better years didn't do that Doug, put his career in context just because, you know, he came in as a a top 50 recruit, a a five-star guy, local guy for the Columbus area, and a guy who was always considered a very high-character guy, was not really considered a high-impact guy, and then had that impact this year. Yeah, kind of. I mean, he's he's a top 50 national recruit. He's, He's not that much lower than Nick Bosa in that recruiting class when he gets here they're they're kind of like a tandem in a lot of ways and then they obviously diverged um that he rallied and had the kind of year from a production standpoint in terms of helping his team in 2020 is a great story but i think if anybody got fooled by exactly what that meant for what kind of you know natural talent he was or what kind of football player he was at the NFL level. I mean, he just, he's just not. So I underestimated what his impact would be on the 2020 Ohio state Buckeyes. I think maybe some people then overestimated based off what he did in 2020, what it meant for him as an NFL player, you know, Jay Sean Cornell got picked in the seventh round last year. Jay Sean Cornell was another guy who was like a borderline five-star recruited Ohio state just kind of had a, had an okay career helping him out, went out with his best year as a senior went in the seventh round, but, um, you know, I think at times during this season, I felt bad for like underestimating Jonathan Cooper. And it's like, Oh, did we wrong on this guy? And Steven makes a great point that he had to do this. He had the opportunity to be their most productive defensive end in 2020 because some of the other guys, because there wasn't a chase young on the roster and there wasn't a Nick Bosa and there wasn't a Sam Hubbard or a Taekwon Lewis and Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith weren't quite up to that level of play. So I do think I, it's not a, I don't, it's a reminder that Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith need to, need to raise their level because these are guys that we think project maybe as top three rounds in an NFL draft. And they played many fewer snaps last season than a guy who just went in the seventh round. Why is that? You need to do more in 2021 because we think you probably have more talent as a football player and you're more, a, a more attractive draft prospect. So you need to contribute more to your team 
2021. Yeah, 24 tackles, three and a half for loss, and three and a half sacks per game. Those are great numbers if that's your second best defensive end doing that, which if you look at the 2018 season when he was their second best defensive end, 25 tackles, six and a half tackles for loss, two and a half sacks, alongside a guy who had 10 sacks that season, that's when it's a it, that should be a bonus, but it shouldn't be what your leading guy has at Ohio State. And that's over eight games. If you extrapolate it over 14, right. it's different. But your, your point is taken. And I think it, it does also, also should kind of building off what you're saying, Doug, you know, we're used to the country is used to seeing the NFL draft include Ohio State defensive ends. Ohio State defensive line talent going high. They had a fourth rounder today in Tommy Togai, and then they have Jonathan Cooper in the seventh round. I think that has to change next year, probably for this defense to reach its potential and for Ohio State to, to reach its potential. I think the guys you're talking about have to be prove themselves worthy of being taken high in this draft. I think Haskell Garrett coming back for his extra senior year proved, needs to prove himself worthy of being taken relatively high in this draft. I think if that happens, I think this defense – potentially improves over where it was in 2020. And that's the thing. There's enough people, you know, you just mentioned Haskell Garrett. We're talking about Zach Harris and Tyreek Smith. Teron Vincent, a former five-star top 10 player in the country. Can he break out next year? So there's enough to maybe offset the fact that you didn't have it in the 2021 class, where the 2022 class, you might see two or three guys, two, three, four guys go in the top 100. Four Big Ten defensive ends went ahead of Jonathan Cooper. You know, Quiddy Pay was a guy that got a lot of attention first rounder. Odofe Owe, Jason Owe from Penn State, first round guy. Ernest Brown from Northwestern. I don't know who that is. And they played Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game. I apologize. He went ahead of Jonathan Cooper. He was drafted ahead of any Ohio State defensive end. That's not what Ohio State defensive ends are all about. So it's a reminder of what they need to do in 2021. But even some guys who had bigger, like Shaka Tony, wasn't he selected pretty late? There were some other, like guys in the big 10 who had some names attached to him who were also going in the seventh round. So that, that tells you that it's not just your college production, obviously. And, and this is a reminder of that as we get annually. So. Well, I, and I would say like, I think Shaka Tony is like an interesting guy, but like to me, Shaka Tony is he went in the seventh round. He went like right a few picks. He went seven picks after Jonathan right. Cooper. Mm-hmm. Sh- Shaka Tony is like a, was like a try hard guy. Like, I think actually Shaka Tony is actually a decent comparison for Jonathan Cooper. And that's when it was like when, when Ohio State was playing Penn State, it was like they had Shaka Tony and they had Jason Owe. And it was like, well, you know, one of these guys is like a really athletic guy who's still trying to learn defensive end. The other guy is like knows how to play it, but he's more limited athletically. And it's like, well, that should be the difference between Penn State and Ohio State, right? That Penn State had two guys who Neither of them were the total package. Ohio State usually has the defensive end who is the total package. Instead, we're in a place where Shaka Tony was very similar to the most productive Ohio State defensive end of 2020. So Ohio State ended up having 10 picks. Cooper was the final of those 10 picks. That's second year in a row that they've had 10 picks. The only program in the country that did that. I think it's three of the last five years they've had at least nine picks. So not a top-heavy draft for Ohio State, but a, a deep draft. You know, getting into double digits, not a bad weekend for them from that perspective. So try the text. We were texting all weekend about the NFL draft. 614-350-3315. Get a two-week free trial. You get Ohio State news analysis straight to your phone seven days a week. I'm Nathan Baird for Douglas Lamer and Stephen Means. That was Buckeye Talk. Bye.